This is Perspectives. It's the show where we have a conversation about our differences, only to find out that we have so much more in common. I'm Condis Presley. Today, we are having a conversation with Deanna Jo Vivian. She is the executive director of the CT and Octavia Vivian Museum and Archive, as well as being a licensed professional counselor and minister. She is married, I don't know why I'm going to say this, but we will. She is married to Al Vivian, the son of the late Dr. C.T. Vivian. She's a mom of two. Al runs a company called Basic Diversity, where they travel and meet with people and help us to be our better selves. I am told, Deanna, that you are charming and passionate about your work. Welcome to Perspectives. Is that true? Of course, thank you for having me. It is certainly a pleasure to meet you and to be here. And I would say that I'm most certainly passionate and it depends on your perspective, whether or not I am charming. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that you are. Uh, your in-laws throughout their lifetime, the late Dr. C.T. and Octavia Vivian collected more than 6,000 books on African-American literature, history, poetry, and similar works to honor their life and legacy the archives is raising money to to put together this museum and one of the things that you you did was was very creative by honoring authors what can you tell me about that well first of all i have to go backwards to go forwards and speak to the heart and passion of both ct and octavia vivian they loved literature extremely important in their lives when you walked into their home it was more or less a museum with lots of artwork and of course all of his awards and honors, but then they took rooms, multiple rooms, and combined them to create this massive library. And it was on showcase. So when you came to their home, it was where they took you to introduce you to yourself, if you will, through literature. They felt that it was the most powerful way for us to connect not only with our past, to learn what we have done, not only what are we doing, but also what we have the potential to be. Um, CT speaks of how he found a book called um, The Man of Mark. And when he opened that book and he read it, he literally located himself. He realized he no longer had to look around to find himself, that he himself was accepted just as he was, just by reading this book by, by and about black people. So with that in mind, um, he created, along with his phenomenal board, the C.T. and Octavia Vivian Museum and Archives. And the goal was to preserve this 6,000 plus volume of books, not only for people to engage with the books, but to bring the books alive so that people's lives could be impacted, changed, and most importantly, help people to get out there on the, on the uh, fight for social justice. So it has a twofold prong to it, if you will. Uh, me as executive director, I'm very passionate about seeing this uh, museum come to life, not just with books, but interactive with programs. Also, uh, using technology as it is today to bring these books alive. It's, alive. it's not just reading a book, but experiencing the book. And with technology, you can do it in ways that are limitless. So we're really excited about doing that. Um, as you know, we had our first awards banquet. Um, it was an amazing event. Uh, anytime you do the first, you're always concerned about how, how it's going to be received. It was well received, and I would say primarily because of the authors we had an opportunity to honor. Um, these were not just 
your everyday authors. Uh, these were people who were Pulitzer Prize winners, poet laureates, and the likes. They've been honored not only on our soul, soil in America, but even across seas. Um, and they were gracious in coming to be there with us. Um, their stories are magnificent. If we talk about, let's say, Taylor Branch, for example, as you know, we honored him for history. And what he did in his writings um, about the King years, three volumes, it wasn't just about King, the man himself, but it was about America, honestly, during those years. And it opened the eyes of those who had a heart to see what America really was and what democracy really can be. Um, we could not have an award ceremony without honoring that man, Taylor Branch, uh, because of the, the progress he made in America in just writing those three books. Tell me who else you honored this year. Okay, um, I'm gonna start with some locals because I'm always excited about talking about our local authors. Uh, Terry Jones, uh, she is the author of The American Marriage and that book has been on the New York bestselling list for quite some time. Um, I think it's been translated in uh, 30 different languages and that in and of itself is amazing. Um, she's written three other books and we honored her for nonfiction. I think what she brought to the table is she took the American experience um, and she allowed it to have uh, a black face, if you will. She didn't talk about things that were just um, about the African-American experience. She talked about things that are true to Americans and brought it to life through our faces. Uh, let's talk about the American marriage, for example. We know that uh, it is a story of one woman's journey in loving two men. And I think that is an American story, not just a black story. But then she brought the concept of um, false imprisonment in there, and that becomes more our story. And what I love about that book is it didn't end the way we wanted it to. It ended the way it quite often does. And it made it real, it made it raw. Uh, a lot of people didn't like the ending, and I think that's what made it so controversial. And it made us dig deeper and look at ourselves to understand who we really are as people and what we really need and what we can tolerate, if you will, in terms of who we love, um, who we care for, and who we'll sacrifice for. Uh, she did the same thing with Silver, Silver Sparrow when she explored the relationship of one man and two women. Um, neither woman knew of the other. Both women bore children, and these children discovered each other. And that tale in and of itself was, was haunting, but true. Um, and so we wanted to honor her for her work in fiction because her fiction is untypical, if you will. Um, and we need to broaden our eyes, if you will, and our stories as it relates to us as African-Americans, because we will never be just one story. We are very complex, and, and her work uh, exhibits that. We also honored Ernie Suggs. And Ernie Suggs is a journalist with the AJC. I think he's been there for over 30 years. And he had the opportunity to do the writings on the um, uh, Black History Month um, um, stories that the journal did, and he did some compelling work. What I loved about Ernie's writings is that he didn't just talk about the people we know about. Um, I can name some uh, civil rights leaders and everybody would go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he talked about the unspoken heroes. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me um, 
Oh, as, as well as I know his name, it's it's eluding me at this moment. It always does. It always does. But Ernie actually was just on the show, uh, this program, just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the work that he did with Ambassador Andrew Young on the many lives of Andrew Young, the book that has been out uh, just now for a few weeks. And you had a, another honoree in the uh, memoir category, uh, yeah. the author of Memorial Drive, uh, Natasha Tretheway. It's, it's what a great list of honorees you chose. Yes, it was phenomenal. And just having an opportunity to talk with her, extremely humble. Uh, the work she did in her book, Memorial Drive, was amazing. Um, she touched on being biracial and then trying to find herself, you know, if she was in the primary white environment, looking for herself there and not finding herself, finding herself in the black culture and not necessarily finding herself. And then dealing with the tragedy of someone killing her mom. Um, just a great memoir. I definitely recommend those who are listening, listening that you avail yourself of any of the books by any of the author, authors. It really does expose more of who we are as a people um, and it creates empathy. I love that word. I think it's one of the power, most powerful tools in our toolbox. Um, it creates empathy when you read these stories, helps you understand not only the journey, but the work that's still yet to be done. You're so right. And of the of the authors that you celebrated earlier this month, the only book I have not read is An American Marriage. So I will add that to my list of things to read coming up in the weeks and months ahead. And I have a recommendation for you for next year. If you have not considered yet Clint Smith, the author of How the Word is Passed, I will say that has to be probably the best book. I have read this year, and it certainly fits the criteria for what you all are doing uh, in honoring the legacy of uh, Reverend C.T. Vivian and his wife, Octavia. Most certainly. I appreciate that. We literally have already begun our search for next year, so I will add that name to our list. And if you haven't read the book, it's you won't be able to put it down. It is, he goes, he, he tells our story, uh, story of, 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 of people of color, um, by visiting, and he had to narrow it down to just a dozen locations, but the way the narrative that he crafts, the attention to detail, uh, it's just, and even the folks in my book club said it's probably the best book that we'd read all year. It is fabulous. So I will, I will just leave that there. One of the things that I wanted to ask you was, as we started, how did you come to do this work? I mean, you're, you're leading this charge for the museum and the archives, but you know, you're also a professional counselor, you are a minister. What makes you Deanna Jo Vivian? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, I've always described myself as the um, jack of all trades and master of none. And I think listing all of those titles gives you an idea as to why I describe myself that way. Um, I started in corporate America a long, 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 long time ago, worked for Ford Motor Company. Um, and when I worked for Ford, I literally had, um, I did nine promotions in 13 years, literally nine different jobs, and it exposed me to so much. So I bring my business background uh, to this job as executive director. What drives me? How did I get here? Well, I was asked by the board what I consider taking the position. Um, the board was the founding board. We're now working towards um, moving out of the working board stage to the management board stage, but the founding board asked me what I take this position. I sat down, I thought about it. Of course, I prayed about it. I talked with my husband in regards to it, and then I really searched my soul. 
And the one thing that I know about me is I love literature. I've always been an avid reader. I remember the days of marching up to my local library and requesting books that were well out of my age range. And depending on who was behind the desk, sometimes I got them, most times I did not. But I've always had my nose in a book. So my love of literature was driving me, if you will. And then the second thing that helped me come to the conclusion that this was an assignment that I wanted, my mother and father-in-law, just two amazing people. I never really thought of them as my in-laws. I say that for other people, but as far as I'm concerned and the way I address them, they were mom and dad. Um, just gracious people, loving people. If you know CT and Octavia, it's like knowing the neighbor that you like a lot. It's not knowing these civil rights legends. They're just extremely humble people. And of all the things that they could have wanted to leave as a legacy, it was literature. And we know just looking at what's happening in our world today, particularly after, Earth, after the pandemic, we're losing the race on literacy in America. If you look at Georgia, 36% of African-American children in the third grade are on the level that they should be as it relates to literacy compared to 76% of the majority or the dominant population. That's a huge disparity. The research points to and has pointed to and will continue to point to the power of reading as it relates to literacy, uh, coming out of poverty, mental health issues, healthy relationships, and I could go on and on and on. So when I sit back and I look at what one book can do in the life of one person, one ethnicity, one culture, one state, one nation, how could I say no? And so here I am today to make sure that these, this 6,000 book volume of literature is preserved, that people have an opportunity to understand it, to read it, to interact with it, to learn from it, and then for us to develop programs that allow people to be exposed to literature in ways that they have not been, so that people can fall in love with reading, because reading still today in 2022 is fundamental. I knew you were going to say that. Where will this library, museum, and archive be housed once it is freestanding and ready for people to appreciate and researchers to come to and study? So the Peace Column Museum is where it is um, headed to as we speak, and that is in the Rodney Cook Senior Park here in Atlanta, recently opened. Very excited about the opportunity of partnering with them to put the library there. Um, of course, we are um, still in negotiating stages with, with them and with the city, but we are extremely hopeful. We love the fact that it would be at the Peace Column Museum. Think about that. C.T. Vivian and his works are located at the Peace Column Museum, a man who literally lived his life for peace. And I don't mean peace where we say um, everything is perfect and in order or you uh, go along to get along. You know, I love the fact that he was a lover of peace, meaning I will upset the apple cart to put it back in the right order. And so for the uh, museum to be at that particular location not only speaks to the power of literature, but it speaks to the power of peace and what CT brought to the civil rights movement. Speaking of the civil rights movement and those giants, members of your family who were leaders in that movement, is it your take that the movement 
in its 2022 iteration is not making the progress or sustaining the progress that was achieved by those great men and women in the 1960s? You know, as much as the battle stays the same, the battle is different. You know, we are in a battle, but the battlefield has changed. And I think so often we're looking for uh, the same methodology that we saw in the 60s and the early 70s to combat racism and social injustice today. I do not believe that um, our youth of today are sitting on the sideline. I think they are in the battle and I think they're fighting in different ways and we will not know the impact of their fight probably for 10, 20 years from now, but I believe their fight is effective. It's different, but it is effective. Uh, things that, uh, for example, social media, the social media platform is powerful and it is changing things. In some regards, social media is as powerful as our sit-ins were in the 60s. I mean, you think about the uh, Me Too movement. You think about the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter, whether or not you agree with their philosophy when you go to their website is really irrelevant. We're really talking about a phraseology that became an ideology which moved millions of people, not only in America, but across this world. There were demonstrations everywhere. And it started with a small group of people who said Black Lives Matter. So we can say, no, it didn't change legislation necessarily, but legislation is written and voted upon by people who are voted in by people. And if we can open the eyes of people, then we can change legislation and whether Everyone who marched is going to be involved with making change. There will be enough who will, and that's what matters. So I think we are moving forward. It's not in the same direction. It doesn't look the same, but I do not believe we're standing still. In your capacity as a counselor, we're coming out of this pandemic. I was reading the other day and the suicide rates, especially among young people are astronomical. And May is a month when we spend time talking about and raising awareness about mental health, and especially in the Black community, working to erase the stigma. How are you able to do that in your work? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. The first thing that I have to do is make sure that I do not allow myself to get a savior complex. It's hard work, and we're not there to fix people. We're there to come beside people and help them in their journey. And so I try to keep that in perspective. That's the first thing that I do. I think it's the most important thing that I do. Um, second, awareness is so important, not just, you know, using my social media platform and my website and working with my clients, but within the people that I have influence over. I make sure I talk about uh, mental health and the signs of mental health and things that you can do to help not only yourself but your family members when you see them struggling. I think if we are silent about the subject then more people will die and more people will suffer alone. So I'm very vocal about the subject. Within my practice, um, I allow people to be people. I think the quest for perfection is the number one cause of mental health issues today. That followed by trauma. And we just lived a collective trauma, each and every one of us. This pandemic touched us, whether or not you know someone personally who died, meaning mom, dad, sister, brother, auntie, we know of somebody who has died. 
And we cannot stay in a state of constant death without it affecting us. And so when I remind people that we're human and there's no perfectionism, then it's okay if we're a little sad right now. It's okay if we're grieving. It's okay if we're a little anxious. It's okay if we're confused and we're unsafe. It's even okay if we're a little angry because we're human. These are human responses. And if we can allow ourselves to be human and not try to be perfect by shoving it all down, we are less likely to explode with anger or go deep into depression and cause ourselves to want to leave this earth. And so my primary goal is give people permission to just be human. And for as much as social media, as you've already said, is a mover of the movement, social media is also not good for everyone's mental health because you and I both know nobody has a bad day on. Oh, no. <laughs> but we're perfect on social media. That's for sure. You know, you're, when you take that picture before you post it, you've taken it three times. You've corrected the lighting at least five <laughs> before you did. You moved the glasses off the table. No mess whatsoever. Again, what are we trying to achieve? Perfection. And because social media is a place where you look perfect, even when you walk into it knowing that most of what you see isn't real, unfortunately, unconsciously, you're still comparing yourself to what you see. And in most cases, you come out on the short end of the stick. Primarily, more importantly, our teenagers. Our and as you know, as, as a minister of the gospel, there was only one perfect man, right? One, and still is only one. Yes, and there is no expectation even from him for us to be perfect. There's nothing in the Bible that speaks of that, and yet I think our culture more than anything demands it, and we really have to push against it. I, I'm, I'm a little controversial when I say this, but I mean it when I say it. As much as I love the phrase black girl magic, I also push back against it because it gives the impression that we have to be good at everything that we always have it together, that we never have bad days, and that's just not true. Um, I think the power of black girl magic that we don't talk about as much is that there is a sisterhood that's in there. And that sisterhood is what sustains us because I'm not strong all the time, and I do not have all of the answers, and some days I just don't feel good about me. But I can lean on my sisters, if you will, and they can help me to see what I can't see in myself at the moment and move forward. So as much as I like it, I kind of push back against it a little bit. And anything that has us all of one thing, none of us is all of anything. If there's somebody who's listening to our conversation today and they want to know a little bit more about you, Deanna, or if they want to know a little bit more about the archives and the museum and how they can be supportive, is there anything else you wanted to add? How can, how can people get involved? Well, right now, um, there's a lot of work to be done. As you know, we are still building out the interior of the um, museum. It's not yet, the, the brick and mortar is not up yet, but we are developing and designing what we would like the interior of that brick and mortar to look like. So we are looking for volunteers in that area. We are working on our scholarship program. We are looking for those who we are going to award with this uh, Kaleidoscope Award for Literary Excellence. So we're very, very busy right now. We are also taking in more books. The library doesn't stop with the 6,000 books that CT and Octavia Vivian amassed. And I also like to um, mention Doris Derby. Doris Derby, she was also a huge contributor 
to the museum. She um, donated her entire collection to us. She was a civil rights activist and an author. She was also a, a, a professor and she donated her books. So we are still taking in books. So indeed, if you have books that are rare or in good condition that you feel like should be a part of this collection, we'll take those in as well. Um, we can, you can find us at ctovma.org. That's short for CT and Octavia Vivian Museum and Archives, which is very long, but the uh, short version is ctovma.org. And you can email me at info at ctovma.org. Deanna Jo Vivian, it has been a delight to spend some time with you. Thank you. I, I told you that it would be sort of a far-reaching conversation that would touch on many topics, but we started with the Vivians. We're finishing with the Vivians. And again, a delight finally to meet you. I've, I've known of you for many, many years, and I hope this isn't our last conversation. I hope not. And thank you again for having me. It was truly a pleasure. Stay right where you are. In our next segment, we're going to take a fantastic voyage. This is Perspectives.